This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Deacon Mark Roberti talks about how he found his faith in an Islam country where it is forbidden to talk about Christianity. One body, stewarding God's creation. This is one interesting story, so grab that cup of coffee or tea and enjoy the show. One body, stewarding God's creation. Deacon Roberti is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. Um, so we're going to be talking with Deacon Mark Roberti and about how I found my Catholic faith in the bastion of Islam. Wow, what what an amazing story we've got in store for us. We know that all good things begin with prayer, so will you lead us in a prayer for this next segment? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Eternal Father, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, Triune God, we ask you to be with us today and, and help us, and help me in particular, to, to share my message and to uh, touch the hearts and, and ears of, of people who um, are listening. And, um, to make disciples, to go and make disciples through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 I understand that your particular emphasis as a Catholic and deacon is discipleship. So can you share a little bit about that with, sure. with us? I have, a, I have a little mantra that I have a, a book. It's not really a diary, but, but I write quotes in yeah. it and, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And, and the, the mantra that I have is, life is a journey to eternity. Uh. Travel light. Uh-huh. And your greatest possessions are there waiting for you yes. in, in heaven. Yes, um, love that. And I think we're, you know, we're all called to be disciples. We're not all yeah. called to be theologians, but yeah. we are all called to be disciples. Yeah. And you know, many people, for whatever reason, you know, they, they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior or whatever, and they think they're theologians. Well, you're not a theologian. You're a disciple, and you're supposed yeah. to go out and, and make all, you know. You know, make disciples of all nations, and, sure. that, and to me, that's my emphasis. And even when I, whenever I give a homily or anything like that, in the back of my mind, it's always discipleship. What are we doing? Yeah. What, are, what are we doing to become better disciples? Ah, I love that. I do. And, and so, you know, in you know, there, as a disciple, you have had to have been prepared some way along the way to think like that and to realize that you want to be a disciple. So share a little bit about the preparation that you received along the way. Well, let me even start from the very beginning with, sure. my, with my story, kind of. Yeah. And we all have a story to share. Yeah. And that's part of discipleship. It's not going out in there and it's not necessarily going out there and yeah. you know preaching Jesus, but telling how Jesus has affected you, how God you know, how the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. So I was born in Seattle. Washington State. I was the fourth of, of five children, and my parents from were from Rhode Island. My dad had gone out to Boeing to go out to Seattle to work as an engineer for Boeing. And um, as a matter of fact, I was conceived in Rhode Island and, and born in Washington. <laughs> and so, I, you know, traveling is a big part of my life. The whole adventure of traveling is a big yeah. part of my life. Yeah. And and I remember in my early years. My uh, mother was very devout. You know, when we'd go to church on Sunday, she had like a little breviary or a prayer book or whatever it was that she, mm -hmm. she was praying, and she prayed her rosary. She always mm -hmm. prayed her mm -hmm. rosary. Mm -hmm. So you grew up Catholic. I grew up Catholic. Yeah. I'm yeah. a cradle Catholic, yeah. yes. And my father, on the other hand, he had been involved in a church when he was young, and something happened that turned him off. And he was Catholic, too, but he, didn't, he really didn't attend church particularly often. Sometimes he did with us, and certainly on the holidays and stuff like that. But he wasn't, he wasn't a very active Catholic. And um, when I was nine, my mom died. And so um, 
he, my dad, being from Washington by himself, being from Rhode Island by himself, packed us all up and moved us back to Rhode Island. And so uh, when we moved to Rhode Island, we moved in with my my mother's sister, her older sister, who had no children. Mm-hmm. And so there was the six of us, the five kids, and my dad, plus my aunt and uncle. So there were eight of us in a three-bedroom, you know, three-bedroom house. And my my aunt was a um, wonderful disciple, a wonderful Catholic, very passionate Catholic. And uh, she made sure we went to church and she got involved in our, you know, in our Catholic education. Exactly. She probably took it very seriously. Yeah, she took it very seriously. And she, uh, you know, she got me into being an altar boy. And as a matter of fact, it was a French Mm -hmm. parish that we had to learn all the prayers in French. Yeah. And myself and my younger brother. um, Yeah. And, you know, and we... uh, you know, we we were probably the best best speaking French altar boys that the the priest used to say that he had because she had taught us she had taught us so well. So um, so then um, after that, my dad remarried. And a couple of years later, my dad remarried. I know one another wonderful Catholic lady, yeah. and I, I I I wouldn't I don't call her my stepmother. She was my second mother because yes. she she was just so giving caring a giving caring mother. Anyway, so we. Moved on as a family, had a couple more sisters. So yeah. then there were seven kids, and um, as you know, as time gone on, time went on. Like, you know, getting into my teens and stuff like that, I started to drift, like like so many teens do, drift from my faith. I wasn't interested in my faith, and uh, when I got to be like 16 years old, it's time to make confirmation. Yeah. And uh, we'd moved, so we didn't necessarily. Um, we weren't at the same parish, and the bishop only came to certain parishes at certain times. And sure. So, so uh, anyway, uh, when it's time to make confirmation, my dad comes up to me. He says, "Dad, he says, Mark, I'd, I'd like you to make your confirmation." And I says, "Dad, I really have no interest in making my confirmation." You know. Yeah. But it was my mother, you know, my second mother, pushing him to do that. And he says, "Mark, I'd like you to do it for me." Mm-hmm. And I love my dad very much, and um, so I said, "Okay, Dad," and I I did it for him, and. Um, but that was my ticket out, as far as I was concerned. That was my ticket out. I made my confirmation, like so many people. I made yeah. my confirmation, and that was my ticket out. Sure. But in, in, in the back of my mind, my heart, my soul, or whatever, the Holy Spirit was, was continuing to work. A couple of years later, I went to the University of Rhode Island. I was in the, uh, the accounting program there. And um, it was a good school, but it was a party school. It was a very good school, but it was a party school, you know, yeah. and I got involved in, in the party element of it, too. And uh, I remember one time I was taking a course, and it was a uh, psychology course, and the, and the teacher was a, the instructor was a, was a professor from uh, Wayne State University, and he was an atheist. And he was trying to get people to, um, he got onto the topic of religion, he was trying to get people to commit as to where, you know, where they were in their religion and how many people were very devout. And he kept, at, you know, different, different intervals asking, you know, slightly devout, whatever. And he got to agnostic. And I said to myself, the next question is going to be atheist. You know, am I an, am I an agnostic or am I an atheist? Mm. And that was another moment of truth where, the, and, and here is a moment of truth where that my confirmational graces started to kick in. Yeah. And I couldn't say that I was an atheist. I sure couldn't say that I was an atheist. So I raised my hand, raised my hand, at agnostic. And um, when I did that, I said, that's kind of cheap, Mark. Yeah. And it's kind of cheap that you don't. Yeah. You know, either you are or you're not, and there's there's no middle ground. So I started getting a little bit more involved in my church, uh, going to mass and stuff, but not a real lot. You know, not yeah. a real lot. Yeah. But then a couple of years later, when I was in my junior year, I transferred to Providence College, which is a Dominican university, and uh, they had a better they had a I don't want to say a better accounting program, but they had a good accounting program where the good job people who were getting the good jobs were getting it out of this this Providence College, and. Um, 
The only problem I had with going to Providence College was that they made you take um, 15 credits of Western civilization and two credits of religion. And it was like, what do I want to take this for? This mm -hmm. is not, this is not going to do me any good. Well, the, uh, the Western civilization courses turned out to be superb. I mean, I loved finding out, mm -hmm. you know, art, history, theology, yeah. and, and there were like four, four yeah. sections of it. And uh, I, just, I loved it. I thought it, was, I thought it was great. And the religion courses, they challenged me. You know? yeah. But I was, I was some, for some reason, I was resentful at the same time. And uh, so I would, um, I would question, I was a gadfly, and I'm always questioning the professor. Always, and he was a, he was a priest, you know. Yeah. His name was Father Malervi. And Father Malervi would say something, and I'd raise my hand up and, you know, ask him a question, constantly challenging. And one time he, um, he had had enough of me, you know. And he gets up and he says, Mr. Roberti. And he draws a big circle on the chalk, chalkboard, as big as he could draw. And he says, this is the mind of God. And then he put a little speck in the middle of it. And he says, this is your mind. He says, you expect this to understand this, you know, mm -hmm. the big circle. Mm -hmm. And I just said to myself, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and then that's when I really started, you know, another con you know, confirmational grace kicking in again. And uh, so, you know, then I started going to church more often again, but off and on, off and on, off and on. And depending if I was a relation in a relationship or what, where I was going to, to church. And um, anyway, um, a couple of years, I graduate from that school, get a good job in a local CPA firm. And then, and then after that, I got a job for, for Textron. And I was traveling all over. You know, I was traveling all over the United States, even, even to Europe and stuff like that. And I loved it. I loved, you know, I loved, I loved doing it. And, uh, and any place I went when I was traveling, I was going to churches and looking, going, going to Mass and, you know, seeing what was different about this Mass or, or that Mass. And uh, God was, you know, con continuing to draw me in, really. And then um, I, heard about, I heard about an opportunity in Saudi Arabia, and this is kind of where the story starts. That's the background, but this is kind of where the story starts. And I love to travel, in, um, and, uh, you know, I'd love to travel. And at one point, I'd even, you know, I'd hitchhiked across the United States, and, and you know, I was ready, you know, I was ready to go. I was ready to travel there. It was good money, uh, good opportunity to see the world. And so I applied, and they sent me down to um, Tennessee to Hospital Corporation of America, where they trained you for the cultural stuff of it to make sure you're going to the you're going to a whole different world when you go into the the Islamic world. It's sure. they, they don't think like we think, you know. Sure. And and they were trying to teach us, you know, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, how not to offend people, and and that type of thing. So I get to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. I'm at the King's Hospital, King Faisal um, Hospital and Research Center in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and I'm the head of the general ledger department where we put all the statements together, all the information together, make statements on a monthly basis. And um, there, there are four, in, four people in my office, myself, a guy named, uh, a Muslim from Egypt named Abdul Fattah Goma, and we called him Goma, another Muslim from Pakistan, his name is Khadr Patel, and then Resi Lat, who was a Filipino Catholic, and, well, me, so that was, that was the four. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the uh, Abdul Fattah Goma was a very devout, devout Muslim, and his job, his as far as he saw it, is is he was there to convert me. I was mm -hmm. there for him to convert me 
type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And we weren't, as, as, as Christians, we weren't supposed to talk about our faith. Yeah. And the way that this thing worked is you got paid, you got a good salary, and then at the end you got a bonus. Yeah. So if you stayed there till the end, you got your bonus. If you didn't stay there for the end, then they, they kicked you out of the country or whatever, and you lost your bonus yeah. too. And so um, I went there for the adventure. There was two months a year. You got two months a year travel. You got good pay and the bonus. And so I went there. That's what, that's what I went there for. Yeah. So we weren't supposed to talk about our faith. Mm-hmm. But this guy, uh, uh, Goma, he was trying to get me to talk about my faith and, and you know, trying to, you know, to persuade, convert you. Convert yeah, me, sure. Persuade yeah. me that Islam yeah. was was the way to go. And so um, I was I wanted to be careful. And the other the other guys were listening. The other mm-hmm. two guys were listening. You know, yeah. and, and we had one on each side. Yeah. And um, so he um, every day, you know, and I was there for two years. And every day he'd come in and he'd talk, and we would talk Islam and Christianity and, and stuff. But I wasn't talking very much Christianity. Yeah. And so, but as time went on over the months, I started to, and I got confident with him, comfortable with him, and I started to to share my faith a little bit, you know, ask him questions and, you know, and and volunteer Christianity with, you know, some facts about Christianity with him too. And as I went on, I started asking him more and more questions, and he'd answer me, and he'd ask me questions, and I'd answer him. But I realized that I wasn't getting anywhere, and he wasn't getting, I wasn't really listening to him, and he wasn't really listening to me. So I changed my tactic, and I got a Koran, and I got some books on Islam and the Prophet Muhammad, and I started reading them. And then I started, the, the whole conversation switched. There was no more Christianity in it anymore. It was about Islam. And I started asking him questions about Islam. He was delighted, you know, that I was showing an interest in this. And uh, so I'm asking him questions. He's answering the questions. And then I ask him a little harder question, a little harder question. And um, finally, and it was, I was probably a year and a half into this now before I really felt, com- really felt comfortable with him. And we're going back and forth at it. And, you know, and, and the nuns, when I was a kid, the nuns thought I, they had a priest on their hands. Yeah. The nuns taught me real well when yeah. I was a you kid. You knew your faith. Yeah, even though yeah. I wasn't necessarily following my faith, yeah. I knew my faith. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so um, anyway, we start going back and forth now. And, and, uh, and he's, on the, he's on the losing end of this argument in our discussions. He's, he's seeing that he's not converting me and he's... He's a little concerned of what I what I have to say, yeah. you know, is isn't what he expected, and, and makes a whole heck of a lot of sense to him. Yeah. So anyway, at one point, and this was probably with three months left to go in my in my two year term there, he um, he said something disparaging about Jesus, you know, and it really ticked me off. You know, mm-hmm. really ticked me off, and it was that just that time that I decided <clears throat> excuse me it decided I decided that I was going to be a bonus martyr he wasn't going to say that about Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, and I was you know I was gonna I gonna hit him with both barrels type of thing yeah. so I got up and I shut the door and I says you want to talk about this and he says yeah I says let's talk about this I said I can't prove to you that Jesus is God I says that's you know that's a matter of faith I says but I can prove to you that Jesus is a, you know, is a greater prophet than the prophet Muhammad, and they believe that all prophets are, are equal, but Muhammad is, you know, is the cream of the crop type right, of thing. Right. Right. And uh, he says, okay, you know, have at it. So I says, okay. I said, and and they know they know a lot about Jesus because Jesus is one of their prophets, and sure. you know, and and so I says, you believe that Jesus was without sin, right? And he says, yes. And I says, was Muhammad without sin? And he says, no. 
I said, that's a pretty significant thing, wouldn't you say? And he says, yeah, but inshallah, it's God's will. That was how God did it. I said, I said, you believe that Mary was without sin, right? Jesus' mother. And I said, you have a great devotion for, you know, Muslims have a great mm-hmm, devotion to mm-hmm. Mary. You believe that Mary was without sin too, right? And he says, yeah. And, and I says, was, Mo, was uh, Muhammad's mother without sin? And he says, he says, no. And I says, okay, another, you know, another significant um, factor, right? He says, um, yeah, he says, but again, this is God's will, you know? I says, you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary was a virgin, right? Was Muhammad born of a virgin? And he says, no. I says, was anybody else ever born of a virgin? Just Jesus' mother was born of a virgin. He says, yes. And I says, okay, you know, these are all pretty significant things. I says, you believe that the end of time, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, right? And he says, yes. I said, why not Muhammad? You know, where's Muhammad in this? I says, what, and matter of fact, what, I says, you believe that Jesus healed the, you know, uh, healed the sick, cured the blind, raised people from the dead. You know, you, you believe that Jesus did miracles, you know? And, and he says, yes. And I says, did Muhammad do, you know, what, what miracles did Muhammad perform? And he says, um, he says, well, Muhammad wrote the Quran. He was illiterate. In over 23 years, the Ab- angel Jibril, Gabriel, this is the Jibril as, as they call him, came down and, and he um, dictated the Quran to, um, to the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I says, okay. I says, well, I've been reading the Quran, and it doesn't seem all that wonderful to me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not pulling that much out of it. And uh, he says, we have to read it, and you have to be able to read it in Arabic. And I said, well, I said, most Muslims aren't, don't read Arabic. So what about, all, you know, not just me or Christians, but what about Muslims? How come, you know, how would they understand it, or how would they, how would they get so much out of it if they can't even understand uh, the language, if it's so poetic and it's so beautiful? And I says, okay, but let's say, you know, he did, he did do the Quran. He, you know, I says, was anybody there? Was anybody, did anybody see him, the angel? No, he was by himself. I said, oh. I says, another miracle, as I understand it, is that uh, at one point he was being chased by this Muhammad and his, his uh, friend, great friend Abu Bakr, were being chased by this group called the Kaish that were trying to eliminate Islam from the Arabian Peninsula. And I said, Muhammad went in and uh, he, they found a cave and they hid in a cave and a spider Hit, you know, hit them, built a web and hid them so that when the people came, the people who were pursuing them came, that uh, they, you know, they said he couldn't be in here because there's a spider web there. And uh, so they went on. And I says, I says, okay, let's presume that happened. Is that a greater miracle than raising somebody from the dead? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, no, but it, it, this is an important thing because it was, is, you know, Islam was, you know, it, it helped for the, the growth of Islam, the continuation of Islam. We need to take a break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more about how I found my Catholic faith in the bastion of Islam with Deacon Mark Roberti.
on one body stewarding God's creation. How I Found My Catholic Faith in the Bastion of Islam with Deacon Mark Roberti. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. We are talking with Deacon Mark Roberti, and uh, we are talking about how I found my Catholic faith in the Bastion of Islam. We are talking right now about the um, rather heated discussion that he had with uh, a man who believed um, was Islam and, and wanted to convert um, our wonderful deacon, um, who was not a deacon at the time and was not even really practicing the Catholic faith, but had a ton of information because he'd been taught right. He just wasn't living it at that point in his life. And so we'll let you continue on with, with your story there. So anyway, when I told him that story, he said, he says, well, that is, um, he says, I don't believe that. And I said, what do you mean you don't believe that? That's in the Quran. You have to believe that. He says, no, no, that's not in the Quran. That's in the Hadith. And the Hadith is their um, traditional teachings, which you could, you could choose to believe or you didn't have to believe. Yeah. And, said, and for those just tuning in, what is this that, that, that you're saying is in the, not in the Quran? About the, the, the uh, story of him going into a cave and a spider web yeah. coming, in, you know, coming in, the spider coming in, closing it so that yeah. the people that were attacking him were going after him were, yeah. were no longer, uh, you know. They, they so he didn't even him. believe that that happened so for the that, Muhammad. He didn't yeah. that happened, huh. and, that, and that's his prophet. And he did, mm-hmm. apparently he didn't have to, you know. Yeah. And I said, well, let me tell you another one then. I says, at one point... Muhammad, he went on his horse, and the horse was named Barak, and it was like a, it was like a donkey or a flying donkey. And he went from, from Mecca to Jerusalem up to heaven. And when he got to heaven, he sees Abraham. And Abraham says, go up to the seventh heaven. God wants to talk to you. So Muhammad goes up to the seventh heaven, and God tells him, I want Muslims to pray. I want you to pray. I want people to pray 40 times a day. So mom says, okay, Lord, sure. And he, he goes back downstairs. And I might not, not have these exactly right, but this is, these are all ballpark what I'm, what I'm telling yeah, you. It's sure. been a long time. But um, he goes back downtown, and he, back downstairs, and he sees Abraham. And Abraham says, what did he tell you? And he says, he says that man has to pay, pray 40 times a day. And Abraham says, 40 times a day? He said, man can't pray 40 times a day. That, that's impossible. Yeah. Why don't you go back up and talk to him again? So Muhammad says, okay, and he goes back up, and God tells him, why don't you pray 30 times a day? So he goes back down, and Muhammad says, I mean, uh, Abraham says, that's, that's still too much. You, you can't, people can't pray that many times a day. So they, just, they did this several times until the last time he goes up there. God says, I want men to pray five times a day. So Moses goes back down, and Abraham says, five times a day, that's still too much. And he says, it's five times a day I have spoken, you know. Mm. And so that was it. That's how they pray five times a day, yeah. which I'd like to interject here, too. When I first got to, to um, Arabia, and, they, and even though I was aware of this and stuff, and they told us at Hospital Corporation America, they shut down everything five times a day to pray. And like, what a witness that is. Mm. You know, what a witness that is. Whatever you're doing, you stop doing it and you pray. They, mm. You get your mats out and you pray. And when I first saw that, I said to myself, wow, what do they have that we don't? You yeah. know, we don't. 
But it didn't take long to realize that they really didn't have much that we don't, you know, mm-hmm. because, um, we'll, you know, the way they lived, you know, the, the way they lived their lives out there, even, even in, in, you know, in, in the bastion of Islam, was no different than the way we live our lives. I mean, it's different, but in a sense, it was no different. I mean, they didn't follow their... They their, were kind of going yeah, through the motions. Yeah, they're going through the motions, yeah. right? They're okay. going through the motions. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, he says, I don't believe that either. And I says... Well, how do you know what's right and how do you know what's wrong? Yeah. You know? And he says, well, in Ch- it's God's will. We all know. Well, that's, you know, in Christianity, that's kind of the same way with, you know, with you got people who believe whatever they want to believe. And as long as they believe in Jesus, supposedly, that's okay, you know. Yeah. But anyway, the another thing I said to him, I says, let's get back to Mary for a second. You believe that in the, in the Quran, there's a whole chapter dedicated to Mary. No other woman's name is even mentioned in the Quran, but Mary's name, the mo- you know, the mother of Jesus' name is mentioned in the Quran for a whole chapter. And as a matter of fact, 34 times or 35 times, her name is mentioned in the Quran. I mean, she's the exalted woman of, of Islam. I says, doesn't that seem kind of peculiar mm-hmm. to you that this lady would, you know, would be rated, regarded so highly, yet, you know, her son is not regarded as high as, as, as another prophet. Yeah. And, and her mother, is his mother, that's this, Muhammad's mother isn't regarded as such. Yeah. And, uh, and later I found out that um, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen said, and I believe this, I really believe this, that said Islam is, is going to be converted to Christianity. In the end, Islam is going to be converted to is- Christianity through Mary. Because they have this devotion to Mary. As a matter of fact, at one point at Fatima, there were so many Muslims to come and come and visit the the Fatima site that they were wondering what the heck they you know what the heck they could do because they're all, they're all going to you know to to uh, worship not worship but pray to Jesus's mother. Mm. So anyway, after this whole thing is is um, done, you know, after we have this conversation, and he really couldn't put up a very good argument. And, yeah. And, uh, and at that time, I had as much more well versed in, in all of the things that I, that I that I'm saying now. But um, what was re- what I found really is I said to myself, "Okay, I'm out of here. You know, they're going to kick. You know, they're going to kick me out of the." Uh, and he never after that he never said a thing about it. We never talked about Muhammad or Jesus again. Mm. No comparative thing. But during this thing time too, a couple other things happened. This is where I told you to mention my wife. Or near the end, I mentioned I met my wife. In, in Arabia, you know, yeah. she was a Catholic girl out of out of Western New York, and uh, and it was like I felt like a, you know a, another Holy Spirit moment kind of thing where yeah. God, here God sending me this this woman, intelligent, attractive, you know, adventurous, you know, the the, the, the type of adventurous thing that I wanted, yeah. um, and Catholic. It's like wow, look at this, you know. But I also started going, and this was like within probably eight months when I got there, they told me about an underground church. And so I started going to an underground church. You know, we read that in the Bible, these underground churches. Yeah, catacombs, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who would have expected that? Yeah, in Islam, right? Yeah, yeah. And within this church, there were essentially, the the priest was Filipino, and so there were a lot of Filipinos, and the Filipinos are very devout Catholics, you know. And there were English people and there were Americans, you know. And every week... When we went to mass, we went to a different location because we didn't want to get caught. Because you hear the stories about people get, you know, these 
Protestant pastors and stuff getting caught and you know dragged, put on the plane, you know, with yeah. you know, in, almost if no, you were no lucky, clothes. Right? If you're yeah. lucky, yeah, yeah. If you're lucky, because that was one of the things too. You were not supposed to promote Christianity. I mean, that's what they were teaching at Hospital Corporation of America. Keep your mouth shut. You know, yeah. you want to stay there. You keep your mouth shut. And we were Americans, and they had higher regard for the Americans. So it wasn't like they were going to do anything like, uh, you know. Uh, kill you or anything like that, although, although they would throw you in jail, and you sure didn't want to be in a Saudi jail from what you, know, from what you heard about, about those things, uh, about those places. So um, this underground church had so much of an impact on me, you know, and, and w whenever I went on vacation or whatever, um, in Europe or wherever, I would, um, I would go to church. Mm. You know, I'd go to church and I'd, I'd go view the churches, I'd go look at the churches and, and marvel at how beautiful the churches were. Yeah. You know, because they were they were putting their mat on the ground and praying that way, which was okay. That's you know yeah. that's fine too, but the magnificence of the Catholic churches were were really in incredible. So anyway, I leave Saudi Arabia with my bonus, said goodbye to my girlfriend at the time, and we became you know we became pen pals. And I took the next four months off, and I traveled around the world. I got a Eurail pass and traveled all through Europe and all the beautiful cathedrals and you know and, and religious things that there are in Europe, and just kind of just kind of soaked in it. And then um, then I went to Australia and New Zealand. I hitchhiked to Aust Australia and New Zealand. And, and again, you know, ta talking Jesus, talking to people about Jesus. And you know, not, you know, not trying to persuade anybody, but just telling them the story, telling them my story, you know, yeah. as, 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 as a disciple, what just happened, yeah. and how this has had, how this has impacted, how had it had impacted me. Yeah. And, uh, Doing what a disciple should do, really, yeah, doing yeah. what a disciple should do that yeah. I never had done, you know. Yeah. But I was not reluctant at all to talk about Jesus. I was, this, you yeah. know, Jesus, Jesus was cool now. Jesus yeah. was the coolest person in the world right. and still is the right. coolest person. Yeah. And so anyway, after I do this, after I travel around the world, then I, um, I get back to California. And uh, before, I, before I ever left Arabia, too, I sent out resumes to relief and development organizations because I wanted to do that. And to me, this journey, this traveling adventure wasn't finished. So I sent out resumes to a bunch of relief and development organizations. And so when I get back to uh, California, when I fly into California, I call my, my mom, my second mom, and she says, you got an, they want to talk to you in Portland, Oregon at a place called Mercy Corps International. So I called Mercy Corps International. Um, they, we scheduled a, an interview. I hitchhiked up, you know, from California to, to Portland, and I interviewed with them. And they had two positions open, you know, um, and which one did I want? They had a, a position in Khartoum, Sudan, and a p position in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. So we got another Muslim country, or we got a Catholic country, you know, essentially a Catholic country. And I said, you know, I would love to go to Honduras. I would love, love, love to go to Honduras because I love the culture. I love the, the you know, Mexican, Spanish, Mexican, whatever culture, you know, yeah. the Hispanic culture. I said, but, you know, I'm only giving you a year. And, you know, I've, I've been in an Islamic country. I know the culture. I know everything about it now. So I'll go to Sudan, too, wherever you need me most. Yeah. You, know, you send me there. Yeah. Well, they needed me most in Sudan. Okay. So I get to Sudan, and they had several things going on. They were, you know, trying to get water wells. They were, at the time, there was uh, 
the famine with Erici uh, and Tigray. There had been a famine in uh, wars in Erici and Tigray, and there was a famine. And we were shipping food to them. We were drilling wells. They were delivering hospital supplies all over Sudan and stuff like that. So they made me the, the finance manager for that to kind of help coordinate that stuff. So anyway, I go to Sudan, and I started doing that stuff, and it was, you know, it was really challenging. It was fun. As a matter of fact, when I got to Sudan, the place that I lived, the place that, they had, that I was supposed to live, they, they put me in the American embassy instead for two weeks. And I'm saying to myself, what am I doing in the American embassy? Well, the reason that I was in the American embassy is because one of the Islamic coalitions had thought that, that we were um, part of uh, you know, the CIA, you know, this Relief and Development Organization that I worked, worked with was part of the CIA, and they threatened to blow up the building that I was in. So that's why they, and then finally when they felt it was safe, they, they put me back. But after doing that stuff, not even, not too long, not even a month, you meet a lot of people, you meet a lot of expatriates, expatriates, and there was a, a lady there, a Filipino nurse, who, who invited me to a party at a, at a, at a house with some, um, a Danish nurse and a, a doctor, an Egyptian doctor and stuff like that for a party. Because there isn't much, much to do in these Islamic countries. It's mm-hmm. not like, it's mm-hmm. not like party, it's not New York City, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway, I go to this, I go to this um, house where they're having the party, the get together, and we're talking and stuff like that, and I hear babies cry. I hear a baby cry. And, and I says, is that a baby? And, and, the guy, and the nurse is a male nurse, and he says, yeah, he says, he says, I'll be back in a minute. So he goes and gets the baby, and he brings it out and shows us the baby and stuff like that. And I says, what are you doing with the baby here? Baby's here. And he says, well, I work myself and this doctor, we work at an orphanage for street children. Mm-hmm. And these babies, we found them, in, you know, people bring them in, mothers bring them in, they can't take care of them. We find, the, you know, police find them in the garbage cans or whatever. And uh, so we take care of these people. We take care of these babies. And he said, would you be interested in helping? And I says, I says boy, uh, my heart said yes, but I'm saying, myself, what, am I getting, you know, what am I getting myself into? So I says, why don't I go look at it first? So we go there, I go there, and uh, it's a room with like 40 cribs and babies all around the crib, you know, all around the, the room, mm-hmm. this big room. And in the cribs were babies with dirty, you know, it, spe- it smelled in there, there's flies on there, mm. flies covering their lips mm. and, you know, and there's some, you know, some Sudanese ladies, poor Sudanese ladies that, you know, that's, this is how they were making their income to care for the, the babies. But in the culture, there is no such thing as illegitimate. They don't have, they don't have illegitimate children yeah. in, you know, in Arabic countries, supposedly. And so anyway, I did that. I went, I, I, you know, I picked up the babies and I, they smelled and I took them. There was a sink and I'd wash them and uh, put a new diaper, put a clean diaper on them and, and, do whatever I, you know, rock them for a while in my, in my arms and hold them and, you know, kiss them and, and show them love, you know, show these kids love that never really even had love. And so, and I did this for the next, for the, I was there for seven months. I was in, in Sudan for seven months. And um, every day, you know, every day mm. when I got off from my, my real job here, my real, uh, yeah. and I went there and I, I did that. And I mean, there were sometimes there were riots. There, and one time there was a riot going on, and I just I drove through the riot. I got off the street because I wanted to be there. Wow. And there'd be there'd be nurses from the United States and Europe, and I try to get them to come and help at this place. And they'd come just like I did for that first day. They'd come, and uh, they wouldn't come back. And I says, you know, how come you don't come back? I, says, I can't do it. It's so hopeless there. Mm. It's so hopeless, you know. Mm. But what I was doing 
in time, but in, in not too much time either. But if I thought a baby was going to die, when I took it over to the sink to wash it, I would baptize the baby, mm. you know, in kind of in secret, and uh, you know, then then put it back in the crib. Sure. And there was one particular baby that I was very interested in. So she was from a Christian family. For her name was Susan. Every time I picked Susan up, she would, you know, she would be crying, and I'd pick her up, and she'd coo, you know, and I'd put her back down, and she'd cry again, and I'd pick her back up, and she'd coo, you know, she, she just loved it, you know, she loved being picked up, and every time I went in after, you know, after uh, kind of getting involved with, with with Susan, and you know, kind of, she was my favorite there, I would uh, go and I'd spend extra time with her, and even before I left, I would spend time with her, yeah, and um, then one day. I uh, come in, and uh, what happened is in this place is uh, often they, they'd catch these respiratory infections and the babies would die. Yeah. And so, you know, you try to nurse them back to health, but they they would die. And, and, and it was kind of like my job. They'd wrap them in paper, and it was my job. We had, we had a vehicle, a Mercy Corps vehicle. So I would drive them to the morgue and give them to the mortician, you know, wrapped in newspaper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their warm bodies wrapped in newspaper and give them to the mortician and then the mortician would, would take the baby and, and mm-hmm. later, you know, incinerate the baby. And I'm and I'm going now, I'm going to church, you know, from the moment I got to Sudan, I'm going they had churches in Sudan. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to church mass every opportunity I can. Yeah. And right next to this it was the cathedral in, in Khartoum and right next to the cathedral was a mosque. And so I'm going to Mass, and it's in Arabic. I don't really understand what they're saying, but I sure know what they're saying because I'm a Catholic, and, and Mass is universal. The same, uh, yeah, mass exactly. Is the same where they go. Yeah. But anyway, the the Christians would start singing, and then the prayer call would come on for the Muslims, and you know the the loud the microphones and the loudspeakers and stuff, and to try to drain out the the Catholics that are that are singing in there. And I don't know if they were. I think they were trying to drain them out anyway because yeah. there was no need for it to be on that loud. Yeah. And. And what would happen is the Catholics, would, their voices would kick in, and they would sing even louder. Yeah. You know, holy moly, like what, <laughs> what kind of church we have, you yeah. know, what faithful people we have to be living through all of this and, and to be still vibrant Catholics, you know. And in Sudan, too, when you went down the street, you know, when you went down the street, you'd see people with, with you know, their, their right hand cut off. Mm. And... Uh, so why, you know, why so many people? Were, their right hands were cut off because they were caught stealing, and that was the punishment for, you know, for getting for stealing, for getting caught stealing. Is you got yeah. your hand cut off, and there was a, a substantial amount of people without right hands where they got caught stealing, and um, so it was. I mean, it was it was amazing the, the two, you know, the the, dichotom- the dichotomy between the two cultures, between their culture and our culture, and their faith and our faith was so pronounced that um, it, it was it was like uh, this this boy was on fire you know yeah. and this boy has really has been on fire ever since you know to, mm-hmm. to try to bring people to Christ to try to tell people the story you know um, sometimes I'm, I'm even maybe too aggressive about trying to do that but I really have found that as far as discipleship goes is to uh, tell them the story because you're not going to convince you know you're not going to make people theologians you're not going to convince them by theology you're yeah. going to convince them with the heart with the stories that you have i missed what happened you saw your beautiful wife but i never heard that you guys went out on a date or got married so what happened there my wife and i will my wife and i will, first of all i went after sudan I, I was in sudan for seven months and they asked me to go to honduras okay so i go to honduras 
And what a difference is, is it flying, you know, from the desert, you know, from the deserts that I've been seeing, flying to Honduras, and it's plush green, yeah. a Catholic country, you know, yeah. um, very faithful, poor the most amazing thing to me was there were little kids running around when you when you when you're in Honduras. There were little kids running around with no barely any clothes, you know. But they were so happy, you know. The kids were so happy, um, and I thought about too the, the the difference in the cultures, you know, the difference in the cultures where one was kind of bleak and you, know, you see hands cut off, and, and the other one the kids are just, you know, just frolicking in you know in the in the beautiful country, the beautiful mountainous region. You know? Wow! Wow! So did that. We did. I did really leap and development there too for yeah. seven months, and that was great. And then I come. Then um, we have to decide where we're gonna. You know, we're pen pals all this time. Oh, actually. okay. And actually, at one point, we had uh, we had gone to Africa when I was in Sudan. We went to not to Africa, to Kenya for a safari, a photo taking safari. Okay. And so it was right in the middle of the uh, migration season on the Serengeti Plains. So we. Uh, you know, we saw that together, and, and, and uh, but then you know, then we were pen pals, and we just you know, nice. we, bond, we bonded through that. Yeah. And then we had to decide where we were going to live after that, and because uh, she was from New York, I was from you know, essentially where I had left from Rhode Island. Yeah. You know, and where were we going to live? And she was she went to school in Virginia, so she had left from Virginia. So she says, "How about Virginia?" And I says, "You know, I Virginia's okay. I like Virginia, but I don't like the the racial stuff." down there, you know, and so I'll go there for a while to see if this works, but I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't plan on Virginia being, and I love Virginia now, but at the time, that's, you know, that's how I felt, and, and she says, well, where do you want to go, and I said, how about Washington State, I'm from there, it's beautiful and I'm mountainous, and she's a hiker, and she loved camping and all that stuff, she says, okay, it's Seattle, so we went to Seattle, we dated for a year, and then we got married, Wow. and then our son was born, you know, a couple of years later, our son was born. Yeah. And then I'm starting to, and I don't know how much time we got here, but I'm, I'm starting to feel, I'm working for a CPA firm now, and yeah. I'm starting to feel the pangs of, geez, I don't, you know, I didn't want, you know, when I left Arabia, I didn't want to do this again. And, yeah. and one day I'm, I'm sitting, and it's during tax season, and instead of reading the tax law and all that stuff, I'm reading theology books. Mm. And I'm, I'm finding myself always reading theology, but I couldn't put them down. Yeah. And uh, so I, um, I says to her, I says, you know, honey, I says, I think I would like to, uh, I'd like to, to go for a master of theology. And she says, and what are you going to do with that? You know? And I says, I don't know, but you know, I feel like God's calling me to go for a master of theology. So the next thing you know, we're in Steubenville, Ohio, and I'm at Franciscan yeah. University of Steubenville. And she, was, she worked while I was there, you know, and, and uh, so uh, did the two-year thing. And what an incredible experience yeah. theology is at Franciscan University of Steubenville. And, uh, then after that, I was. You know, this I'm almost done here. Then I was hired to the. Uh, I was, when it was all said and done, I sent out resumes. She wanted to live in the Southwest after that, and I sent out resumes to Lubbock, Texas, and um, I was the assistant to the bishop in Lubbock, and then the stewardship and development director for Lubbock, and that was a great. We did the six years there before I came up to Hayes and, and worked here. So that's. Wow. That's pretty much the story in a nutshell. A long nutshell. That is that's amazing. What an amazing life that you have lived, and and uh, you know I'm sure you have an amazing wife as well. Um, amazing wife. Name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, again we praise you, and we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us as a Catholic community, that we could go out and be disciples, that we could share our love for you by sharing faith with others, and that in thanks that. We could, we could show people who we are by how we act, by what we say, by our confidence in our, in our faith and our love for each other. Through Christ our Lord. 
Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning into One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Folks, heaven is unseen, and so are these airwaves. However, if you want to support these airwaves and save souls for heaven, go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.